0: Hey Crossbridge family, it is so good to be with you today and I just want to thank you so much for joining us and and thank you if you're a guest with us for joining us and I want you to know that my hope for you is the same as it is for every single person who attends Crossbridge and that's simply this, that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, that you'd be able to take one step towards Jesus because that's what we are all about. Now, if you're regular here at Crossbridge, you're probably wondering, why in the world am I in front of you? Because physically right now, I am not. Uh, Thank you so much, Crossbridge, for sending a team of five of us overseas and supporting us as we go do missions work, as we go love people around the world, because that's what Jesus has called us to do. So thank you for being Ascending Church. I also wanna thank you because not only have you given so generously to send this team, but you give generously to supporting what is happening, not just in South Jersey, but in our backyard of Philadelphia. And today I am so excited because as a church, one of the areas and one of the places that we give is through helping church planting in Philadelphia. And today I have a great friend who's gonna be communicating with us, who's walking us through in our series, I believe, And kind of taking us through, I gave him a tough topic because that seems to be what I do for all our guests when I'm not. I give them the hard things. But today I would love for you, if you would, to welcome Pastor Gino um, to bring the word today. And what I'm excited about is as Gino comes, he's a fellow Italian. He's (laughs) a great man who loves Jesus, who we have spent lots of time walking around Roosevelt Park, Mm -hmm. praying over Philadelphia, South Jersey, and pleading that, that God would change people's lives. And Gino has the privilege of pastoring the, the Table Philly, which is the church network and small churches that are communicating together. It looks different than Crossbridge, but it looks the same mm. because they don't have a building. They mm-hmm. meet around a table. We meet wherever we can. So there's a great affinity that we have together and so I'm so thankful for you and for the word that you have for us today so Gino thanks brother thanks for being here Crossbridge would you give him a great welcome today
1: good morning Good morning, friends at Crossbridge Church. It is so good to be with you. It's a joy and a privilege. Um, Church, in, in in our framework as the table, Philadelphia, as Jimmy said, it might look a little different, but it is similar in so many ways. We're a church made up of smaller communities that seek to embody and extend the love of Jesus within the ordinary stuff of everyday life. So I bring you greetings from the church in Philadelphia, it's fun to be able to say that, and a heartfelt thank you for your encouragement and partnership with us in the city. We, we love you and we're grateful for you. I have the opportunity to share with you today, continuing in your Apostles' Creed series, this series known as or called I Believe, I'm going to be speaking this morning about this topic. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, the the Creed says that this statement comes under, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. And normally we would spend a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit. But I know as a church that you're focused on the work of the Holy Spirit, that you know the Holy Spirit intimately, and that is something that he is spoken of often. So I don't want to take too much of the precious time that I have with you today to talk about that when I have the opportunity to talk about the words holy and Catholic. So let's, let's talk about this. This Apostles' Creed was often used as a baptismal creed in the early church. It was something that people would confess and profess before they were baptized. So prior to being plunged into the waters of baptism, believers would proclaim that the church is both holy and Catholic. Catholic simply means universal. Don't be triggered or fooled by that term. So to the early church, to proclaim the church as Catholic was to proclaim that the church is united. It was a statement of unity. And because there is only one Lord, there's only one church, united, Catholic, For the ancient church to confess the church was united, that the church is Catholic, was to also proclaim the church as united under this one God. And that one God was not the many gods and emperors of of the Roman Empire or any other superpower that would oppress them. It was to say something, it was to profess and make a statement that was risky. And while while that was most certainly controversial and risky in those times, to profess the church as holy and Catholic now is often met with confusion or objections. People will hear that and maybe misunderstand or be confused and say something like, are you saying that the church is perfect when you say that the church is holy? Are you saying that only the, only the church the only church is the Catholic Church? Is that what you're saying when you say the church is Catholic? Or something like, I refuse to call the church Catholic because I'm a Protestant. Now, I've heard these pushbacks and objections. I've probably said many of them myself. I understand it. I I get it. And I recognize that most people aren't coming from a place of hostility. They're coming from a place of concern. Yet so often followers of Jesus are so concerned about professing what we are not that we fail to live in the beauty of who we are. I I hear Christians, Jesus followers, say all the time, "I'm I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not a Methodist. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not one of those charismatics. I'm a follower of Jesus, but fill in the blank." so often we define ourselves by what we don't associate ourselves with rather than who we are. It would be like a baseball fan from Philadelphia saying something like, oh yes, I'm a baseball fan, but I am not a fan of the Yankees. Well, this statement may be true for some, for this hypothetical person who's most certainly not me because I would not want to be offensive to my friend and your pastor, Not telling you about who I follow or who I am for, simply defining myself by what I'm against is not necessarily wrong, but is it necessarily the most true statement about me? I wonder if there's a way, is there a way to profess the validity of my being a fan of the Phillies without saying that I hate the Yankees? I think that's true, surely there is. While it sometimes is helpful to be honest in describing all of these things that we are concerned about and contrasting that with what we believe, we do not have to always be caught up in the antagonisms of naming what we're against in order to describe what we're for. I hope that makes sense. So these concerns about the church being described as both holy and Catholic, they're understandable. I did the same thing. As I said years ago, I dismissed the Apostles' Creed because of the word Catholic. In my zeal, to be precise, in my doctrine, and my theology, I had lost my passion for being curious. In short, I was too busy explaining what I was against and why I wasn't Catholic to ever even think to ask this simple question. What do they mean by Catholic? You see, it it literally took me years to even get over my own defensiveness to entertain that question. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not accusing any of you. I'm not accusing a single one of you of that kind of defensiveness. The one, the defensiveness that I've had and, and struggled with. I'm simply using myself as an example of a problem that's rampant among followers of Jesus and the whole world. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6, the apostle Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. There is one church, even though we fail In this unity, we pursue this unity because it's who we are. And Jesus desires for our unity as well. In John 17, verse 11, he prays for the people of God to be united as he is united. He says, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, meaning us, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. The unity within the Trinity is the same experience of unity that God desires for the church, caught up in that whole relational system, if you will. And while there are many and different varied Christian communities, many different expressions of the church throughout time and place, we are united By one Spirit, the Spirit of God. And I'll have more to say about that in a few minutes. I want to share some more about that. But right now, I want, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I've probably already done that a little bit, because I said that the church is the, the, the Apostles' Creed proclaims that we believe in the holy Catholic Church. So let's talk a little bit about the holy church, the holiness of the church. The church is holy. In this instance, the word holy means something like close to God. Now, holy can also mean pure and morally perfect, and while both of these definitions being um, morally, morally perfect and close, both of those definitions would apply to God. He has his, he's near in his own presence, and he, he's pure and morally perfect. That's not the case for the church. We are not morally perfect or pure, and it shouldn't require much evidence to prove that, but I think it's worth at least acknowledging that this is true. Each week or each month we hear a new tragic story of the church's unholiness. It comes out, whether it's racism or violence against women, children, and men, just to name a couple of these things. It's painful to watch and it's impossible for us to deny. These are horrific things that will, I won't try to attempt to even explain away or or justify, because they can't be done. But here's what I will say. The church is holy because of its nearness to God, not because of our nearness to our being perfect. This is not to ignore these terrible abuses, but to actually encourage us to face them, We only find healing for the victims and the perpetrators through getting real, naming what's actually happening, naming these issues as wrong, seeking repentance and restitution, restoration, reckoning with the consequences of the pain, and entrusting God to bring healing and wholeness. So while the church is not morally perfect or pure, we are able to be near God, to be in his presence. And it's in this nearness, in our nearness to God, that and being in his presence, that we are transformed. So despite our failings and brokenness as the church, we can still profess that the church is holy. We say this not to ignore or to cover up our failings, but to proclaim that the hope for our brokenness And the damage our brokenness causes is found in our nearness to God. It's in our nearness to God, in his presence, that truth comes to light. That we can deal with the reality and be healed and transformed. Friends, the only way to deal with the reality of the brokenness in our lives, in the church, and in the world, is to meet with God. And good news... God is so real that he can only meet us in reality. He's always present and at work, seeking for us to recognize his presence in reality, not in some abstract idea of what we think or wish would happen, but where we really are right now. God is present and at work. And so to be holy means to be near to God and to confess and profess that the church is holy or as a believer that we believe in the holy Catholic Church is to say we are near God's presence. And the statement is also that we believe in the holy Catholic Church. And as I've said a little bit about this, it means the universal church. To profess that the church is Catholic is to proclaim that the church is a microcosm of the universal human society. In the waters of baptism, the old divisions of society are altered. The church includes every kind of person. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember that these statements, being the holy Catholic church, they come under the statement that it says that I believe in the Holy Spirit. I think this is to indicate that to be part of the Holy Catholic Church and to have these things is to recognize that this is a work of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I want to name three ways that the church is Catholic. The first is that the church is a small representation of society. I mentioned that just a minute ago. That it, it, it is included, includes people from all different backgrounds and different places. They're all united in Christ by the Spirit. Galatians 3, in, starting in verse 26, says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. All of you are one in Christ Jesus. The 13th century theologian Thomas Aquinas, he explained that the message of Jesus is universal because of this. He said, because no one is rejected, neither Lord nor servant, male nor female. What he's saying is that there was no social barrier that could exclude people from the body of Christ, from the church. No one could be excluded from this. So the church is a small representation of all society, and that makes it Catholic. But another way is that the church is Catholic because it shares a Catholic message. Consider what I mean by this. The gospel is not addressed to one particular social class or ethnic group. It's addressed to every imaginable human being. No one in the world is outside of having the message of Jesus be irrelevant to them. It's a message for all. The good news is for everyone, and that's good news to me. I hope it's good news to you. It's good news to me in many ways. One is that it means that the the gospel of Jesus is relevant to me, but also as a follower of Jesus, it means that the good news is relevant to everyone I meet on my block, that I see walking through my neighborhood, or that I meet in my city. There is not a person that is outside of this message being important for. Now, this doesn't always mean that we make the good news sound like good news to people. Sometimes we distort this message. We We can use fear tactics or something worse to try and convince people of this good news rather than allow the good news to be good, to be relevant for people by meeting them where they are and sharing who Jesus is and what he has done. But the message of the church is also Catholic in the way that it responds to human need. See, the deepest needs of humans are all addressed in the gospel, The message of Jesus doesn't just speak to one part of life like it's only a message for spiritual needs to those who who have a spiritual need, but it's a, a, a message that embraces the whole of a person, body and soul, individual and social. It's a Catholic message because all of human life is addressed in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's universal because it speaks to the whole of the human condition. So this message is is Catholic because it's a representation of all of society. It's Catholic because it speaks to all of our need as, as humans. But it's also, the third point, it's Catholic in the most radical way. See, the church is Catholic in that it overcomes the greatest barrier that divides humans. The greatest barrier between humans is not race or class or language, the greatest barrier is death. Death splits the human family into two classes, the living and the dead, and all other divisions are kind of petty in comparison. Humans are powerless against this great division. But in the resurrection, Jesus has stepped across the barrier and restored communion between the living and the dead. He has formed one family that's stretched throughout all time and space, and he calls it the bo- we call it the body of Christ. It's the most inclusive community imaginable because it not only includes those who are now living, but all believers throughout time and space, they're all included in the resurrection. The work of the Spirit is to join people together, not just people now, but throughout all time. Particularly, we're joined to people that we may not necessarily think we belong with. And that, in, in my final minutes with you, this is what I want to dig into this together because it's profound to me, it's changing my life to hear how the Spirit of God actually works to bring people together, to join people together, particularly those who don't want to be together. That's the starkest way I can say it, because this unity is that important to God. Let me try to walk you through what what I'm thinking here. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus in resurrected form, he's back with the disciples, he's been performing, um, not necessarily miracles, but he's been with them for at least 40 days. And just before his ascension, the disciples are asking, is now the time that you're going to restore Israel back to power? Their their vision was more like, we want autonomy, we want our oppressors to leave us alone, we want uh, um, self-regulation and control. And Jesus has a different idea for what power looks like. And he says to them, you're going to wait for power. Power from the Holy Spirit is going to come and you'll be my witnesses from this ever-growing area, starting where you are to moving out to the whole world. So there's a clue for them that they're going to be going and expanding beyond their comfort zone. And in Acts 2, we see that by the power of the Holy Spirit, people are hearing the proclamation of this good news of Jesus in their language. And necessarily the Spirit is joining together people who do not communicate with each other. People that are different are coming together, and this is the formation of the church. So this message of how power works, Jesus is, is saying he told us before this is what would happen and now we're seeing it played out in the lives of this early church and by acts 10 we have something that's literally crazy (laughs) i mean that in the best and most holy sense of crazy Peter is praying and he's hungry and he has a vision that a sheet comes, something like a sheet comes down and he sees all this food that, from animals that he's not inclined to eat because that wouldn't be right. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to eat that food. He knows it's not what he's supposed to do. So he says, no, I'm not going to do that when he hears a voice saying, go and eat. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. So three times this has to happen to him before he consents. Part of the reason, I think, that Peter didn't want to eat that food is because he didn't want to be with the people that that food represents. And so, he consents to follow the Spirit to the house of Cornelius when Cornelius' people come and say, hey, we're supposed to get you, because Cornelius had a vision that he was supposed to be with you. And they sit at a table and they share a meal. They participate in life together, and Peter says something like, this is my translation, y'all know I'm not supposed to be here, right? That's what he's thinking when he's with them, that you're not my people. But the Spirit of God has compelled me to unify with you, and I see no reason why you can't be baptized when you want to be baptized. And for all of us, for many of us, let's say, this is a significant moment in the church, because someone outside Judaism is now brought into the family of God. The unification, the unity of the church starts in this story in the sense that it's now moved beyond just one nationalistic desire to all people being included. And Peter takes his hits. He follows the Spirit. He goes back in Acts 11 and the other disciples are saying, like, what have you done? (laughs) What, What have you done? What he's done is consent to the work of the Spirit. He's consented to following the Holy Spirit and and his power. See, the power of the Spirit leads the disciples, leads the church, us even today, to go to places that we've never been before, in ways that we never imagined possible and with people that we would never wanted. But as we see with Jesus and as we see with the early church, this prophetic witness continues today to transgress boundaries that we have established, to bring unity and catholicity to the church, because we're near to God, we're holy. The spirit-enabled joining, this spirit-enabled joining is a beautiful thing, friends. It's the hope of the world. This joining is a belonging together across time and space and place, ethnicity and culture, without losing our individual unique beauty. The Spirit-enabled joining is not assimilation. It's a joining into something new that somehow the Spirit creates where we retain our own identities and are wrapped up into this beautiful mystery called the church. We're interdependent yet unique. It's the glorious vision of Jesus And it's what we proclaim when we say that the church that I believe in is holy and Catholic. Lord bless you.